Yo, Pat, come check out what I can do on my skateboard. Okay. What? Uh, I mean, that was cool, but I think you just made some sound effects. No, dude, I'm such a cool skater, and yeah. I saw the movie mid-90s. Yeah, because that's what they do in the movie, mid-90s, skating. My name is basically mid-90s now. And mid-90s, that's what we're talking about here on the latest episode of Sun of a Ginger, where we review movies, television, and TV shows. <laughs> yes, we do, sir, and we are here to talk about a movie about the rambunctious sport of skateboarding. Why do we sound like old announcer parents that aren't I that good? I was the announcer at the X Games once, and they never asked me back. I had too much rock star energy. And now you're working at Trader Joe's. I love me some Trader Joe's, don't you? You're working with that one guy that was uh, that used to be on, what was it, Family Matters? No. Cosby Show? We don't talk about that show. Oh. We are here to talk about Mid-90s, directed by Jonah Hill, starring some children. First time directorial debut from Mr. Jonah Hill. He's had a couple writing credits on some other things. I think this is the first big thing... I mean, this is the first feature film he's, like, written, you know. It's the first movie that he completely 100% owns uh, story-wise. Yes. And then he also had uh, some producer credits as well. So this was a very whole Jonah Hill flick. But also, it sort of does show a side of Jonah Hill that you don't really see too often in the limelight. Did not know that he was so into skating as a younger lad. And I couldn't really tell from interviews of his or his stature that uh, he enjoyed skating as a kid. I mean, it's good to see that he, I guess, does. Because, uh, I mean, that's the thing. We know his characters, you know, like in the late 2000s as, you know, just being kooky fat guy and a lot of, many a teen comedy. And then now he's known as like the chameleon actor. He's like low-key, a really good actor and will just like casually lose 50 pounds for you for a role if it needs to or gain 50 back. He's ready to lose or gain a lot of weight. Either eat a lot of Weight Watchers or eat a lot of in and out one or the other. This is a cool film to kind of, I guess, kick off yet another actor-turned-director. And we've seen a lot of actor-director films this year, one of which another one, A Star is Born by Bradley Cooper, comes to mind. And also Bo Burnham, and in a way. Also is, Bo Burnham. is an actor. Uh, and there's a couple of others that I'm just not remembering right now. But So Jonah Hill... I think does a good job kind of diving into that with this first uh, film of his. And what this film's about, it is mid-90s, set in the mid-90s. It's about this kid, Stevie, played by Sonny Suljic, a young actor. This maybe has been like his second or third thing that he's been in. And he just plays a goofy little kid that kind of wants to find his place in the world. A spry young lad who lives with his mom, his single mom. and Catches a beating from his brother and yeah. his looking for a sense of belonging because he lives in a broken household. Yes. And he does so by doing the thing that a lot of people in this fictional town and I think a lot of skaters in general do is get away from your troubled home by skating. Yes. And one thing that I really want to commend this movie for doing is romanticizing skateboarding mm -hmm. in a way. It's seen as this, it, it's a vehicle. It's a key to the, these possibilities. Yeah. It's right? a way to get places and it's a way to get out of those places. Mm -hmm. It's a way to build a career. It's a way to have fun. It's a way to get you from A to B faster. I think the scene that sticks out the most is when uh, Ray, I think his name is played by Nakel Smith. The scene where he finally gives Stevie a board and he grip tapes it up. They take time to show you the whole process of that because it's important. It's literally putting your freedom together. And getting the help from that, this elder statesman that 
uh, this our little buddy Sonny like has looked up to, and then see him kind of like literally hand down this board and like just bestow your skating ability and all that is good from the skating gods onto you, little Stevie Sunburn. We'll get back to center here, Stevie. So he sees these cool kids skating just one day after school, sees them going around, and then he thinks, "Man, that's cool. I want to do that." Gives his older brother, played by Lucas Hedges, whatever he wants in his room, and to get like some old rundown skateboard that he doesn't use anymore, and then just tries to learn tricks enough to say that, "Hey, I'm a skater. I am well versed. Now I can go to the." where all the other cool skater kids hang out and do tricks and make friends with these guys because they can respect me and my skating ability. Yeah, he's he's motivated almost solely by impressing this group of people so that he can become part of their squad. Yeah, and he does it. He impresses these kids, especially the younger kid, before kind of meeting the older kids. He helps like make an impression with the older kids by you know offering to get them water, uh, just kind of being a helping hand, being a good freshman, I guess, if these guys were like seniors, yeah, on like pretty a, much on any like sporting team or something like that, he's a good. He's a good rookie, mm-hmm. you know, and and he's respecting his elders. And through that respect and a mutual respect uh, happens, Sonny takes a lot of hits, a lot of a lot of fall damage. All these all these guys just learn to really kind of intertwine them into the group to where we see Stevie grow exactly and. You know, the fact that he takes so many beatings from his brother and you can tell that his brother is just like always coming in and just wailing on him Mm -hmm. or whatever, kind of uses him as a punching bag, uses him as a way to release his anger about other things. How that manifested in Stevie is that he's now just like, you know what? I get beat the heck up at home all the time. So what would falling on a skateboard really mean to me? You know what I mean? And and so he, he becomes pretty pretty carefree, pretty brave, proves himself in that way. And at least if he takes a beating while on a skateboard, you know, it's not like he has his older brother punching him and then their relationship as a family dwindles. No, he just maybe loses a little bit of blood. But meanwhile, when he gets up, he gets cheers from his peers around him or even more around him, depending on where he's skating. You know, he could care less about the risk because that reward is so damn great. Stevie's lacking role models in his life and he sees role models in this group of people that are doing this thing that's so foreign to him that he just, he wants to be a part of it. And so that's what gets the ball rolling in this movie is when Stevie's part of this group, he starts to see into their world, see why they all skate, what brought them together. And it's different reasons for everyone. A part of growing up is meeting these people and being friends with people. And then you're not necessarily friends with them 20 years down the line. And maybe they went this way with what they were doing. And yeah. uh, you can see that in the character, fuck shit. They don't call him anything else. He's more into skating for the environment and being around alcohol and drugs and that kind of thing. And you can totally see that once this movie ends, fuck shit's going down the bad road. Yeah. Right? The one that they tell you it dare to not go down. Which is funny because uh, the fourth grade character usually is always wearing a dare shirt. Right. Yeah. And it's just funny. Yeah. Hit the circle that th- these guys are because, uh, yeah, towards the end of the film, it all it all ends with a car crash after, you know, they've had a night of not fun. They thought it was going to be fun. It wasn't fun at all. Car crash happens and then the film ends. Stevie takes his last beating of the film. Just kind of wraps up the movie of it just being this little slice of life. But we still see... Stevie kind of grow. Uh, what was cool about this movie as well is I think we talked about, you know, wanting to impress your elders and uh, these people 
that you hold a high respect towards. Reading some of the trivia, I feel like this is kind of what this film is what Jonah Hill kind of wanted to do a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like reading some of the trivia, he talked with one of the Cohen brothers. He talked with Martin Scorsese, people that he's worked with as an actor. Now he's doing this director thing. I almost think of this a little bit as like, hey, Marty, look what I can do, by the way. You're literally right. There, That is self-referential in that way. I didn't even think about it that way. He was saying in an interview that we were watching earlier, you know, being on set with all of these unique voices in cinema sort of gave him this de facto film school. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if in his head he's like, I got to show this to Steven. I got to show this to Steven and Joel and Ethan. I think very much and so. Quentin. And Quentin, yeah, exactly. I was like, hey guys, remember when I was on that set and I saw you, yeah, just doing your thing? Well, I took that and I took all these mostly unknowns other than A24 Darling, Lucas Hedges, and crafted them to make this very unique and immersive skate film where I have this 4 by 3 aspect ratio and I have cool sounds from the 90s of all your favorite flicks. And then, oh, who's that good guy that makes all those scores? Oh yeah, uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Sign them up. They're all in my film. Isn't this a great Oscar-worthy picture, guys? Then they're going to vote. And then they'll vote because I think all of them are Academy voters, aren't they? Yeah, they're probably all in the Academy. I, I could almost guarantee it. Yeah. Then Jonah Hill gets in a car with Joel and Ethan Cohen, Steven Spielberg, and Quentin Tarantino, and they get in an accident. Oh, no. And then Jonah Hill wakes up and he's like, what happened? What happened? And then he's, it's just been all a dream on the set of Superbad. This entire time. Oh, my God. Does that mean we are, too, as we talk about the movie? Real life is just Jonah Hill's dream, daydream, on the set of Superbad. Either that or this is, uh, this is from the B-Pill from the TV show Maniac. <laughs> it's a dream from Maniac. <laughs> uh, we are getting off topic again. We definitely are. Obviously, the movie's called Mid-90s. Yes. They do a lot of creative things to put you there, mm-hmm. right? Everything from vintage doritos bags oh yeah to the shoes that they were wearing the clothes they were wearing all of the clothes like lucas hedges holy god they, <laughs> oh my the god clothes that they had for him were hilarious was he wearing a lot of like mark echo that's 2006 that was that yeah that's mid 2000s but yeah they do a whole bunch of stuff to to really put you back in that era we really haven't gotten a lot of media that is set in that time period similar to how people set things in the 80s and 70s. Yeah. I think of the only other like 90s movie like I saw recently, which was Lady Bird, another A24 movie. And that one does it right mostly. Oh, that one's 2002. But same thing, transports you back to you know, 15, 20 years ago. Good for other Lucas Hedges, who's just in, who just shows up in every A24 thing, I guess, doesn't he? Dude, we, we looked this up after and noticed that he's not been... He's only oh, been in right. one A24 movie, which is this movie. You're right. I keep forgetting that. He's just in good He's movies. not an A24 darling. He just he's has a just, good agent. Yeah, he's, he's... Well, no, he doesn't have a good agent because they haven't gotten him a starring role in anything yet. Call out to Lucas Hedges' agent. Get better. Burn that midnight oil, Chet. Now, Lucas, I got a great movie for you. What's that? I got a great movie for you, Lucas. You're just not going to be on camera a lot. Well, do I get to punch some little kid? No, you got to get to cry. Oh. You're going to get to wear some Genko jeans. But do I get to punch a kid? Yes, you get to punch a kid, brother. Good. That's all I need. I don't care about the rest. Just let me punch the kid and let me just cry in my knees later. And the best part is you don't have to work with Casey Affleck anymore. Oh, thank God. 
Thank God. But you're right. And I'm thinking of other films that use some of the stuff that this film does. I think of American Honey, another A24 film that use, also uses the 4-3 ratio. Also did a good job in immersing you for a to- totally other reason of that movie was about like lower income kids slash kids that didn't have a home and were a band of kids. I'm, this is an, an American Honey review, but it seemed like this film kind of took what worked from a lot of other A24 movies and put it all together to work really well. Yes. So here's a, a little piece of trivia about the 4x3, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, Mid-90s is now one of two movies to have grossed over $100 million in the 4x3 aspect ratio. I know American Honey wasn't the other one. Which was the other? The Grand Budapest Hotel. That was in 4x3? Yeah. Did you even know? I didn't. I didn't notice that. No. I've, maybe there was like some scenes that had it. I was reading about it and it, they, they stated that fact and apparently it's all in 4x3 but I, I'll have to look it up. You know who's also in that film? Jonah Hill. Lucas Hedges. Lucas, Wait, he is? He is. He plays like little kid number three or something. Oh, what the hell? Lucas Hedges is in everything. We're literally talking about this actor too much. And he's um, barely in the movie but you know who is in the movie? We got Nikkel Smith, Olin Pernat, these two kids that were just, I think, skaters that Jonah Hill found. And if we're talking about immersion, these guys sell it because these guys do it. They live it. There, it's it. We were talking about this after. It's it's a Barkad Abdi thing where you know they pull this person out of this environment for the movie about that environment, and they shine. Yes, because they're so familiar with it already that it's very easy to put themselves into the mind of someone who's like-minded already. Yeah, because that's the thing I think some directors do with like character actors, so to speak, of like, all right, well, why get some get an actor to play this character? There's the character right there skating across the street. Let's get him in there. Right. And, you know, same, yeah, we, we said Barkat Abdi. Hopefully he's not a Somali pirate. No, he's not a Somali pirate. He's just a nice Somalian guy. So, yeah, so that was one of the many things that, the movie does to, I guess, really make you believe in what we're watching. There were a lot of things that brought this movie into the 90s, but the world that they sort of recreated is populated with some good relationships and good interactions and some pretty strong writing from Jonah Hill. Yeah. It's almost as though he lived this, which I'm pretty sure he, he has to some regard. They say when you're writing narrative fiction of any kind to first write what you know. Right, And that could mean, if you're writing a space opera, then give a character red hair. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it could be that minuscule, or it could literally mean, write something about what you've experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think Jonah Hill took that road. Because of that, all these relationships, all of these characters, he completely understood how to make them feel like they're real. So I, I commend that movie. That's one of the best things about this movie is how well it portrays this group of friends who all have different motivations and they don't spend too much time going down one character's path except for Stevie. Yeah. And you just you get a little glimpse of all of their lives and the decisions they make. You can start understanding why they make certain decisions as the movie unfolds. Completely. Yeah, you get their characters. So you bring that up. Does this film remind you of anything that you knew coming of age. You mentioned that you did some yeah. skating. So, like, that's another thing about this movie is that it's relatable to anyone who at least, like, tried to pick up a skateboard at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there was a there was a sweatshirt that was on 
Ray's character. He was wearing a World Industries sweatshirt. Uh-huh. Uh, my first skateboard was a World Industries skateboard. Uh, that's what you were mumbling uh, to me in the theater. Yes. Uh, it was a World Industries skateboard, and it came with a VHS. That was World Industries VHS that taught you all about skateboarding. And it was just like the one that they were watching on the TV when they were making fun of it. There are a lot of things in this movie that if you grew up skating at any point will stick out to you. So the scene where Stevie is outside just practicing and practicing and practicing, and then he finally gets that ollie. I knew exactly that feeling. Because the only trick that I learned how to do that involved any sort of going into the air was the ollie. And I remember the first time I actually figured out how to do it, and it was the same reaction as Stevie in the movie. Of just, yes! Yeah, just like, yes, I did it! I, I did it! Then your mom's like, come inside, quit yelling at the birds. Everyone who lands their first ollie feels the same way. It unlocks the next potential set of things you can do with this piece of wood. Yeah. I mean, I think that can go with any hobby, honestly. Like, I'm looking at our guitars right now in here. Like, first, like, I don't know, guitar solo that you, like, learned, or even, like, a, a first chord, for example. Same thing of mm-hmm. just, hell yeah, first, I did that. First guitar tab you can read. Yeah. Like, Look, I can play Smug on the Water. Like It's the same thing. Those little moments that you can totally point out and say, like, that was me, are what tie you to the movie. Sooner than later, you're getting to know these characters with Stevie, and it's this whole personal experience. Yeah. And I think the philosophy of framing the shots that comes with having the 4 by 3 aspect ratio the whole time also makes it personal because it narrows things in. It causes a lot of framing where the actor is in the very center of the frame, not cut off to a third. Uh, There aren't as many over-the-shoulder shots. There's many, many shots that are head-on. The the way they frame the movie has to change because the size of the frame has fundamentally changed. Completely. And that brings with it a different feel, a personal feel, because also that almost perfect square frame size looks like a home movie. The projectionists, when they shot, when they first screened this movie, thought that they had found an old home movie from the 90s and showed it. That's nice. Yeah. I just think of little old Billy Bob just at your local Five and Dime Theater. Mm -hmm. Hey, what the hell's this? Yeah, exactly. This movie made me think of, I guess, like those in-between moments where... You're really just trying to be cool. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to get along with, especially like the older kids that might be tougher to get along with. And you just kind of want to prove that, hey, I'm not a narc. I belong. Mm -hmm. I'm one of you guys. If I'm going to be honest, man, that's something that I think we go through every day, whether it be middle school or, hell, first day at a new job or something like that. Yeah, right. An example of the movie would be Stevie trying cigarettes, alcohol, and drugs at the age, the ripe old age of what, 12 or 13. He doesn't bat a damn eye. Yeah, no, he just, he, like, just okay. he just straight up does them because he doesn't really understand the consequences of like what he's doing. Like That's a really jarring thing to watch is this kid who looks like, you know, he's probably supposed to be around like 11 to 13 range, but yeah. he looks like he could be nine. He's a youthful and, looking young man. Yeah, and so like he's walking around drinking... Miller High Life 40s and smoking a bowl and chiefing cigarettes. He's got cigarettes in his pocket. I don't think we ever knew a kid like that. I think we knew different versions of kids like that, though, that did one or the other. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's a really jarring thing to start seeing is this like little kid just getting super messed up. There not being any repercussions. It was much more jarring in the movie because it does, it feels real, right? Yeah. You'll, you, you'll see a movie sometimes and there'll be a kid and he gets slipped something and then he's all loopy or whatever. I don't know. It's just like this thing of like, oh no, this kid's innocence was taken. But we kind of saw with this film, this kid more so chose to lose his innocence. He, yeah. He, he chose to like, all right, I'm going to be a cool skater kid. And then, hey, if these skater kids just drink 40s in the middle of the day and smoke a pack, sure, I'll do that too, man. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Right. If, if that's what will make me a man. That whole montage of him getting super messed up at this party culminates in scene where he has, like, he hooks up with a girl and she's probably 17. Yeah, much more his senior, um, however old she is. And like that was just super weird for me because I could never like I it 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 made my skin crawl. Yeah, it makes your skin crawl. And however, the perception of it is still oddly different of the scene because we talked about a similar scene in eighth grade where Elsie Fisher's character is propositioned, and and then same thing mid nineties he's propositioned. And I think of uh, that South Park episode to where like I felt like Jonah Hill like made it not necessarily seem okay, but didn't seem like as much of a big deal. I think of that South Park episode where Ike hooks up with a teacher and then everyone's like, oh man, Ike hooked up with a teacher. And then it was like, wait, a woman with a boy? And then all the characters say, nice. Yeah, exactly. It's the environment he's in versus the environment Elsie Fisher's character is in is totally, they're both the realistic depictions of what happens in these sort of situations where it's yeah. like, you know, the guy he's put into a situation or not the guy, the kid, the child, is put into the situation, and it's obvious that he's uncomfortable. It goes through with it anyway. Doesn't share that he was uncomfortable at all. Yeah, he just And says, then he just walks out, says what he did. All of his friends pat him on the back. He smiles. He says, yeah, I want to do that again. Yeah, and then... Because he, he was kind of told, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, this is good. I'm, oh, wow, I'm, I'm respected. I've impressed everyone. I'm a man, you know? And it shows, like, I think... Really, that push to masculinity that we see as men depicted in this scene with this child getting propositioned, right? To prove himself. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not a kid anymore, and it's, it's yeah, it's just weird to see because it's weird to actively see someone lose their innocence. I guess it's the reality of both genders' experiences and how their environment influences them. Along with, yeah, the societal pressures of right. that environment, yeah. That was one of the more compelling scenes, just because it was so off-putting that all of this was happening. But, it, like, you know, this it's this slice-of-life picture that, uh, you know, even though I didn't experience anything similar to that... We know people that did. Uh, we, we know people that did. We certainly know it happened. I wouldn't say this is Stevie's rock bottom, I guess, but a little bit. Because he just kind of shows that he doesn't care about anything to do whatever he can to be seen as cool. And then we see him kind of like literally put all of his guard down to be exactly who all of his friends want him to be. And he kind of, yeah, he loses himself. Yeah. Um, it, and it also shows that like ultimately all, all of these kids are bad influences, right? Yeah. They're not good influences on Stevie. They're corrupting Stevie. And then that culminates in being in a car crash. Right, mm-hmm. and then when Stevie's mom walks into the hospital and sees that all of his friends who were in a car crash with him and were injured in this car crash have stayed at the hospital sleeping there 
to make sure that he's all right. That is the redemptive moment. That is the camaraderie. That is like the brotherly love uh, showing through yeah. and showing that even though these people are a little misguided and they're, uh, you know, they're misanthropes, their hearts are in the right, right place. Yeah. It's just, it's tough for them to get to that right place. And that's about as much resolution as we get from this movie. Yeah. Because uh, they're, so we haven't talked about fourth grade, but fourth grade is an interesting character because they all think he's an idiot. They're, everyone in the movie thinks that he's dumb. They call him fourth grade because he has like a fourth grade reading level or whatever. You know, yeah. like, and he keeps on saying, I want to make movies and I want to like, I want to do this, this and this. And everyone's like, ah, pff, whatever. And then he says like some stupid movie ideas and everyone sort of like, even as the audience, you sort of laugh him off because that's a really dumb movie idea. And then the movie ends with fourth grades skate video and credits about them and then the the movie ends and it's like okay yeah yeah fourth grade you're promising you have a future like you keep going with this uh you're not an idiot you know what i mean yeah i mean with that being the resolution in this movie being only 84 minutes do you think the film was resolved no i don't think the film was resolved but it just kind of ended the more i reflect upon it the more i just think about uh how much of a slice of life the movie really was and i don't know if jonah hill had more written because it kind of seems like he did with like the older brother character seems underdeveloped yeah i thought we could have seen more from him and so like maybe there he had more written but like production constraints only allowed them to shoot this much and they had to cut somewhere right don't know that's all behind the scenes uh but it in some ways the movie seems unfinished and maybe that's on purpose to seem more like a skate video or a home movie, right? Yeah. Uh, to seem legitimately like a slice of life, to be characteristic of that, the movie just ends. Yeah. Because th- I'm just trying to think of other slice of life films I saw. Boyhood. Yeah. They all have the ending that I think all you can do of a natural ending. Some nice music plays, a character walks out of a room, things feel resolved, but it's the kind of the illusion that things are resolved through movie magic of putting music in and nice sweeping crane shots and stuff like that. Right. And so honestly, this movie just kind of does that same thing. Throw a track together. Hey guys, watch this. And then it's perfect cue for looks like we made it. I know that wasn't the last song, but uh, yeah. Uh, but, hey, it looks like they made it before we go. Let's talk our closing thoughts on the movie because we are, Running out of time. Yes, we are. Uh, so I, w- I just want to talk about the the place that skateboarding movies have in pop culture. Uh-huh. Uh, because skateboarding was born via video, via VHS skate movies. Um, CKY, big part of it. They, they were like pre-Jackass, uh, Big Brother magazine. It was all born out of media. It was essentially one of the first, or the first viral sport Right, um, it's the first sport where people watch that and they say that's impressive. It's a sport that incorporates style and ability, and uh, that transfers over to silver the silver screen so well. In the same way that mob crime, organized crime, translates over to film so well. Sure. And so, it was interesting to see a movie that's a little bit more introspective and about the characters that are doing the skating. And that's why I really, really enjoyed this one. I think it's one of my favorite movies of the year. 
because it was such a singular vision and a singular concept. And it's the exact opposite of a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody, where it seems like there were just so many hands in the pot. This this was one hand in the pot telling one story. That knew what that story wanted that to be. That knew what that story needed to be. Yeah. And whether I liked it or not for its structure and like the problems I have with the ending, I feel like the ending was intentional and it wasn't uh, the fact of Jonah Hill saying, I don't know how to end this. I think he knew that he wanted to end it with the skate video. Yeah, what I got out of this movie, you know, I I would like to identify with the skate stuff, but never was a skater. I think first time I got on a skateboard, I fell on my ass and said, all right, I'm doing something else. <laughs> but yeah, like, but with any movie, we could watch a space movie or a skateboarding movie. When we go out of there, we're going to think, yeah, those skate tricks were cool. Or yeah, that uh, that spaceship that they made was cool. But we're going to think of what was the message of the film. And the message I got from the film is, you know, try your hardest. There's so many perspectives to other things, you know. We kind of saw how skating personally affects each individual character. One tries to get it to be famous. One tries to do it to distract or to be cool. One tries to do it to get out of his poor home life. And another just does it for that adulation and uh, respect that he didn't otherwise get. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see that what this kid loved and wanted to do I think finally got that. He finally found his place. I think, and he, I like that it makes me hopeful, you know, find my place in this crazy world we live in. I'm sure the same for you. Right. You know, everyone wants a sense of belonging. Yeah. And I think that's how anyone, regardless of whether or not you skateboarded, uh, can attach themselves to this character. Yeah. Is that he was, you know, he was searching for a purpose, searching for uh, a group, uh, a tribe, if you will. Yes. That's mid-90s in a nutshell. Mid-90s. That has been the Son of a Ginger podcast. If you want to find us on your phone or your laptop or your tablet or whatever you use to listen to things, you can go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes, Apple Podcast Service, Spotify, and Stitcher. With that, I have been Mason Mid-90s Bro. I've been Patrick post-1980s before 2000 Baylor. <laughs>